Welcome to True House Stories. I'm Lenny Fontana coming out of New York City. And this week, we're jumping across the pond to talk to one of the, what I call innovators. And when I mean innovation, you're at ground in the beginning of time when this music thing was happening with the transition of Motown into a more soul sound and the Northern scene was cooking up hot and DJs were coming over, you know, from England to America to see what the Americans were doing in the seventies. So there was some really great times and there was no playbook to go by. So what that means is you're writing history and if you don't even know if you're writing history, but you're making history, we're going to go to a gentleman right now that is part of the sound system culture in the UK and the mobile sound where they would bring these massive sound systems out and entertain pre-festivals, pre, you know, anything that you all know today, you know, like we have all these wonderful festivals, everything is completely you know, uh, monetarized. In those days, it was about love, sex, and rock and roll, baby. And you know what? The driving force was the music and the people that did it. You had guys like Froggy, you had, and then you had guys like this gentleman. I like to introduce to the show, Mr. Colin Hart. <laughs> I thought he was going to pick me up. <laughs> no, we took you down, mate. We took you down a few steps. <laughs> Hi, Lenny. How are you doing? Colin Hurd is the man. Uh, do you know, it's, uh, it's, it's been a while because uh, I've had people say, man, you should have been on a while ago. Well, look, you know, you did ask me last December and it was it was, it was unfortunate time and my, my brother just passed. So, yeah, it's, it's great to be on here, Lenny. I've watched some of your shows. I've watched Nicky all the way, of course. That must have been wild. And, uh, and, and To say the least. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta love Nicky. No, he does say it as it is. And Frankie Fonzit, Frankie Fonzit. I love, we love Frankie Fonzit. Just what? Frankie was hesitant, but he, he, not hesitant with me, hesitant to make this, this appearance because he was kind of out of the game for such a while doing, you know, people didn't realize he's been a pretty amazing tailor. Yeah. <laughs> Working at a high street shop. Yeah. Yeah. With like serious players that come out to get dressed and he's but it's funny because even back in the day he dressed impeccably well yeah, always and he's part of the history he's part of the history you know, yeah. you know. I didn't make you look so fierce every time we came out it was always dressed impeccable he came out of a comment on there which i found was very very powerful and it, and it was just the one thing I, that i took from it you know that was you know, there were people when he was around that, that can break a young man's dreams, you know? He, he said that, you know, because other things should have been happening with Frankie and, and, and they didn't. And, you know, there are people in our business sometimes that can, can stunt you, you know, for whatever reason. Um, and, uh, yeah, I thought it was very poignant, you know, when he said it, you know, I, I really felt for Frankie when, you know, these people can break a young man's dreams, you know, and he's happy with his lot, you know, but... Um, you know, I think we've all seen that with different people, different times. People don't give encouragement to this, you know, or they're frightened of someone, you know. He's a lovely, a beautiful soul, Frankie. Love him a lot. As I know you do. Oh, Frankie. And, and listen, I love all you guys. Because each one of you bring a different 
element to this whole plethora of what we call the music industry, you know? Um, and the difference on your side of the pond to opposed to our side, Americans to the English, it became a lifestyle. For a lot of people now, you're seeing the children are picking up from where the parents and the grandkids, it, and it's still, you know, the revival. We, we, we're going back, we've had the disco, now we're into the 80s, now we're going into the noughties and 90s. Yeah. It's crazy. It's And it never felt like it ever ended, you know? It's just like, it just keeps re- evolving. Yeah, re-evolving. And you get, and you're having parents going out with their kids. I've done some of these gigs. You're like, wow, this is really nice. We're all together. We're drinking together. We're dancing together. I don't want to say anything else, but at least we're doing, you know, this is nice. Everything's really nice. It's wholesome. You know, that's the good side. Of course, there's a dark side to this business, but we'll leave that to talk. I found the dark. I found the dark side. (laughs) (laughs) You actually all you wrote it, you know, you wrote it. So, so of course, I I entrusted him to get me some great pictures, and everyone loves to see pictures. But as we begin, I will start. I ask only one question and one good question: How does music find the young Colin, the boy, to what we then become later, the DJ? We want to know how this all starts for you. Where does music find you, or you find the music? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I mean, we're going to, to to clubs locally. I mean, over over here, it's probably. I know it's so different. I, you know, I've got to tell you, when I went to uh, when I went to the garage, that's a funny story. Over here, it's so different. If you went to a a club uh, because of the musicians' union, you'd have a band playing cover versions, and you'd have a DJ, and the DJ would do forty five minutes, and the band would do forty five minutes, and you know that you know the musicians' union insisted on live music, and you know so you'd you'd have to put up with that, and and you'd have to have basket meals, you'd have to be food served on the premises. You know it's crazy when you think you're going out to dance, but you've got to have chicken in a basket or something, you know, to, to get the license. You know, <coughs> so there was a lot of places around pubs that were sort of pub discos and weekly taverns and everything. It's where Froggy Froggy did a lot of you know. Weekly taverns introduced a lot of people into it. You know, I used to go to a place up the road called the Circus Tavern, and above it was a place called the Velvet Lady. And uh, um, you know, I used to play. They used to play seven-inch imports. You know, from obviously from the states. Um, and that was kind of the underground. There were lots, not lots. There were a few little underground clubs that were playing this music. You know, um, you know, like Mr. Penguin and uh, you know, Luna Funk and loads of you know. African music machine, you know, so, you know, Dance Master. And, uh, you know, on that, that June Dance Master, I would run on, I'd run on the dance floor for it, you know. Um, so that was the kind of, you know, the kind of, that got me. And uh, and at the same time, in some of these clubs, they had a thing, I suppose, a bit like podium dance, but they had um, a thing called go-go dancers in the pub. And it would be girls, you know, like, scantily dressed or whatever. <laughs> it was a different age. <laughs> and um, the girlfriend I was with at the time, I can remember getting signed the music. I said, what about if I set up a, a mobile disco and you become a go-go dancer? And I liked the music. Obviously, I was, I'd started buying the, the seven-inch input thing. And I got booked as a DJ. And unfortunately, she never got booked as a go-go dancer. So that was, that was, that was, that was my start. Um, 
And I, you're, you're seeing some of the pictures. I, I set up a set, you know, I started doing youth clubs locally. Um, oh, so is this the picture we're talking around that? Yeah, that, that was a, the youth club in Tilbury Riverside Centre in Essex. Um, and I, I, was, I was working every night doing all the youth clubs, you know, which was a, a great little scene. Um, you know, that was where I, you know, and, were, and I was playing that sort of music. And a friend of mine, Alex, used to come along and help me set up. And he, he was really gifted on the music scene. And you know, other kids, you know, following would ask you for different things, you know, like Juggy Jones, Inside American, all that. So you had that little following then, you know. So that was that was okay, more in 71. What would you would have been playing around that time? Oh, 71. I can't remember. That that's all a bit right. I mean, I can remember um I can remember Mr. Penguin, Luna Funk, and stuff okay. like that. It was probably more 73. Um, I'm trying to think who did Dance Master, Willie, Willie Henderson, yeah, Dance Master, you know, and, and um, I say, um, Inside America, uh, Checkmate, Barabbas, you know, all of that kind of stuff yeah, that's, was that's a little late at 74 ish, that's yeah, I'm... yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, I mean, when you got real, when I started mobiles, I was kind of had to be a bit commercial, I was doing weddings and you know, everything but for mitzvahs, you know. Um, parties and all that so i couldn't play what i wanted to play in, in the youth clubs around yeah. that time 74 then i could start playing you know the music for the kids i might have to drop into a bit of soft rock or whatever now and again but that's what they say because you would have had bands like chicago yeah and you would be playing all that stuff because and, that was yeah. like in college radio here it wasn't even on regular radio it was on because no. AM radio was still the radio. There was no FM really yet. No, no, that's right. That's right. I can remember, I don't know about you, when FM come out, I didn't like it because it didn't have that ambient sound of AM. AM. And I'd think, oh, that sounds too unnatural. Of course, it's just clear. <laughs> it's clear. Right. It didn't have big wax paper sound on the road. Uh, alert, attention. So it sounded like somebody was like, I'd go back to AM because I, I was like, no, that, that's unnatural, you know. Because it was mono too. No, no, it was mono, no top end, no low end, everything in range. Oh, God. That's I mean, also, I mean, the 70s as well, early 70s. I was playing things like Rolling Stones. Rolling Stones were a great dance band, you know, Jumping Jack, Fast Satisfaction, all that stuff was great. You know, Beatles tracks. You know, it's all based on R R and B. So, you know, uh, for a party, that was that was great. You could do all of that, and of course, all of the Motowns. You know, sure. I, yeah, that you know. would have been your your whole night. Your Diana Ross. Exactly. A couple of compilation albums. You were good to go. Unfortunately, it put so many tracks on them. The needle would stick right out. It'd be so quiet. <laughs> you know those compilation albums with. <laughs> 22 tracks on one side, everyone. It's, it's never going to sound good, is it? Take <laughs> everything compressed, squash. <laughs> Essence of needle is in there. <laughs> bang for, is it called it bang for the pound or bang for the buck? Yes, exactly, exactly. So that, that, was, that was where I started from, and I got a real big passion. It was, it's, we mentioned earlier, before the show started, and, and I can remember... I'd pick up these seven issues and suddenly I started noticing his name, a Moulton mix. And it was Tom Moulton, you know, and I knew, you know, there were certain names that you picked up. That was interesting, you know, all, all the other guys. But I remember um, listening to a, a tune from 
Um, it was Bobby Moore, Call Me Anything Man. And on the B side, which is one of those very compressed because it's a long version on a seven inch, was this beautiful long version of Call Me Anything Man. And I can remember playing it and playing it and playing it. And <coughs> I always put that as one of my sort of big intros in, into that scene and then definitely into to Tom Moulton and obviously, you know. Well, think about it. There was no one, and I mean no one, that was mixing records at that time like that. No, no. Extending records and doing, nobody was doing that. It was like no. unheard of yet. No, no, no. And I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Why? Until uh, when I started to flip, you know, all that other time. It, in, in England, we were very much, uh, this, this is why I don't know the name of tracks now. You know, back in the 70s, I mean, this is, that was, this is, that was, this was. In, in England, they wanted you to talk. You know, that, that's what they wanted to do. And, I mean, when Rusty come along and started doing the, um, the new romantic nights at Flitch, he didn't talk. And we all found it really alien. I remember they, uh, they brought a guy over, uh, a guy called Roma, to a club called Stage 3, and he was going to mix all night. And, and we all found it really weird. You can't run a club like that because I know it happened in America. Over here, it was always that old story. You know, you had to be a bit of um, an MC. You had to take the pit, you had to take the Mickey, and have fun with people. You know, you're going to do Dance with the Virgins from memory and all of that. Just trying to make jokes with him and between, between the records. <laughs> I hated it. I hated it because I had friends of mine that was really good at it. You know, a guy who I learned a lot from, Steve Wood at the Velvet Lady. Uh, Velvet Lady, yeah, he uh, he was really good. He think of all these really witty things to say all the time. Wish I could think of that, you know. So um, what do you yeah. do? What do you do? You do the best you can, and you get to your next record, and everybody yes, screams. Exactly. But at least I remember what they were called. Yeah. No, no, name them out, right? You were like a radio personality. In yeah, sense. yeah, yeah. Which is what club owners wanted, you know. But I remember when Oki phoned me to, do, which we move on to, when he phoned me to do um, Spectrum, he phoned me up one night, and he said. Um, he said, I want you to come down and spin for me tonight. I said, where's that? He said, it's in London, heaven. He said, uh, I said, what do you want me to play? He went, all that stuff you played for me around your house that time. All that housey stuff. And I went, okay. He went, but don't talk. Just mix. I remember thinking, that's the easiest gig in the world. Mate. Yeah. I ain't got to talk. You know, and I just went in this. I remember smashing them up, bang, bang, bang. I remember him walking in about halfway through and said, why don't you get them going a bit, you know, and they could go, look down, look at the clink, going crazy. It just seemed so easy to not talk. And, of course, my mixing was all, all right, you know, I'd, I'd been doing it. What I used to do at Flix was mix and then do the talking bit, you know, but my my buzz was doing the mix and then I'd do what was expected of me, the introduction and the back introduction or whatever. But in the, in the same time, I was teaching myself how to mix. So, so before we get to that point, because that's Flix time, but let's talk about this, how this came about to build this sound. <laughs> Look, everybody, the, the Colin Hud Gemini stereo thick yeah. system. I, you, I I can't believe you ID you ID those you ID those speakers. Yes, I'll tell you why in a minute, but he goes and builds this system from an American system. Check this out. So he sends you the picture and I go to him, Colin, uh, wait a minute, is these the electric voice in the theater? He's like, oh my God, that's it. I said, they look like the voice in the theater. I've never seen anybody else make those speakers except Alta Clancy. Well, 
my friend had the diagrams. And I had a carpet, a friend of mine, Dave Hudson, was a carpet tippy, and, and he was going through a breakup. I wasn't with anyone. My house became a lumber yard. But my downstairs was was just for building speakers. He'd finished work, come around, we'd carry on, you know, folding the speakers and everything. Um, my friend had it got got the designs from them and we copied it and, and we built them and then covered them and uh, and that was it, you know. But I always remember Altic Lancing Voice of the Spear, you know, with, with the spec and everything. When you just ID'd it, and I was like, wow, no one's ever said that. Okay, so here's how we know. Okay, so Ralphie D from Odyssey 2001, Sinai Fever, the two main speakers in the picture. And he played on them was the Altec Lansing Voice in Theater. All the clubs that Alex Rosner from Rosner Custom Sound in New York, he installed Voice in Theater systems. Wow. I never saw those Brooklyn places. So when I saw, I reckon, I, I, I can never forget it. They'll be hanging. I saw them. I was like, yeah, I was like, you have Voice in Theater? Well, we ended up hanging those in flicks for a while until we put a, the, the big blue system in, which we we we, we now, got. Now here's the thing: you carried this thing around. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I had roadies, thank God. But well, well I told you earlier. What happens? My friend, friend finished building it, and I used to have a thing over it called a, it's a full transit van. And uh, anyhow, I said, right, okay, let's take it out on the road. Well, we've got two speakers in, and and that. Um, the deck unit we couldn't get the other two speakers in we could get the horns in up top and 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 i've gone uh sh sugar the fan's too small yeah really i could see why you got a whole band of, of equipment that you gotta bring so i had to buy another i had to buy a big twin wheelbase thing so we could get them all in look at this look at the size of those speakers yeah 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 i'm yeah. shocked you don't even have back issues today i do of course i do <laughs> <laughs> So could you imagine everyone he's carrying around that console loaded, okay? These speakers stacked up, right? And then this is what you're getting ready to go see him do. I was young. Young fun and ready for everyone and ready for action. And this is what he was showing you. <laughs> he wanted you to come. He knew you. It was all about disco. Look. Bell bottoms, the whole deal. <laughs> and his twin brother. Remember his twin. Okay, so you want to talk about a joker? Let me say it one more time. Him and his him and his handsome twin. Which one's more handsome? The guy without the glasses or with the glasses? I think the guy without the glasses, that was that was me. And the other one's Dennis, he's a bit of a wally. Yeah. He was on the Thursday night. In the 80s, he did that Thursday night. Yeah, yeah, played rubbish music. <laughs> so now you, okay, so how often are you going out doing this? Is this every week? Uh, no, I was going out with that. I mean, I was doing all the youth clubs and everything. But then around that time, about a year after I'd finished that, I went and um, I, I applied for a job at a, a place in Canby Island called, I was applying from all, but there was um, a place called the Monaco. And I went there and I, I got a job warming up for the DJ, you know, and it was a cabaret place as well. So I warmed up for the DJ, you know, which I'd gone from earning, and it sounds silly, but I was earning £35 a go with my sound system. I mean, I'm going, you know, 70s. Um, 
two to three or four quid fiver, I think, for, for, for being a warm-up DJ. Then I had another guy taking my gear out and driving my van. So I was getting money from that. But then it, it got me on the rung of being in clubs. I wanted to be a club DJ, you know, I, I, I wanted to make that transition. And then um, shortly after that, there was an advert for um, for the gold mine in Canby Island for a DJ and I had to audition for that. Um, and I got that job. And then a, a girlfriend I was with saw an advert going, you have to, to get a license in this country, you have to post what your intentions are. And uh, she lived in Dartford where Flix was, and she she told me about this uh, application, and I got um, I got the application in to the guy that was applying for a license. And uh, did you send? Did you with that with that application? Did you send in that picture with the bunnies? No, <laughs> I sent him the one of me in the flares. The flares, you did, but you forgot the one to say. This is what you, I'm bringing to the club. Don't worry, you'll be all. <laughs> <laughs> no, I sent him the Colin Hunt pictures, which he, he still brings up. He's still a friend of mine. He goes, I can't believe you sent me that. I'm like, yeah, well, it's all well, really. Well, with the players. Yeah, that one. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you send me that? It's it. He didn't have the platform shoot. You just went with the flares. You went, really? <laughs> all right. All right. We've been neat and tidy. Good so, job. yeah, that was, uh, so, yeah, then, as I say, you came down and saw me play at another club I was working at in um, uh, Gravesend. Look, before you, you know, people don't realize we all had to audition for club owners. Even in New York, same thing. What was this audition entailing you to do? You went there, You what'd you have to do? You had to play a night? Yeah. Was it during the afternoon? No, the, the good one, the good one for the gold mine was, it was, um, you had four DJs. And you all had one week, you know, so I did a, a Thursday and a Saturday. And then next week, someone else did a Thursday and a Saturday. And, uh, you know, this I always suffer a bit from this impersonator syndrome, you know, where I, I don't think I should be doing something. So I just assumed I wouldn't get it. And then at the end of a, a month, he phoned me up um, and he went, no, I'd like you to be the DJ, you know, which was like, wow. You know, we don't. It's a safe thing sometimes, isn't it? Don't expect something to happen. And if it does happen, then happy days. Um, so, yeah, that, that was the audition, was a proper audition where I was just DJing for the night. It wasn't like doing – how can you audition for as a DJ, do five minutes, you know? It's not like you're telling jokes or something, is it? You play a record and say, is there I'll put a record on? It's <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that was the audition. But um, – yeah, other, other places was, uh, you know, they'd, they'd actually come and see me work. As I say, this guy came and see me work at Wings and, and was happy. He liked the way I talked on the mic, which I thought was a bit I didn't like. Oh, the microphone part. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he liked that. He said, I love it when you take the piss out of people. <laughs> but, you know, is that really modeled after Tony, uh, Tony Prince? That might I think be. it was. I think it was modelled after all all kind of DJs. All DJs had to be a sort of they call it a personality DJ, you know. You know, there's um, a lot of the DJs. It, it's how it was. The one who started breaking the mould was uh, was obviously Froggy, you know. And there was a guy in Record Mirror called James Hamilton who would do write ups and put BPMs of tracks, and um, and he was talking about mixing. And I, and I thought I'm going to try this, and obviously. No one taught me, but I sort of, I kind of worked out the rudiments of it, you know, and, uh, you know, and I can remember Rusty Egan coming in once and, uh, you know, you pick up these little 
people telling you different things if you just listen. And he said, um, he said, you're mixing, he said, you're in time, but your bars are all over the place. And because I was making a four bar and an eight bar, and it, you know, so it's a bit of cement being delivered. And then another guy came over to me, a guy called Terry Ray, who was a, a radio DJ, and he went, he said, your mixing's great. He said, but your levels, you know, one one would be that level, and then, uh, you know, so there was always constructive criticism that I had to take on board, you know, and so I, I was teaching myself, I taught myself how to mix and I I kind of tried to teach myself how to do it better, you know. Um, yeah, that's the thing, there was nobody to go listen in those days. No, only Froggy. Froggy was, Froggy was a pioneer. Froggy was a pioneer in mixing over here and, and of course, the scene that he was in, the soul funk mafia that was in, you know, a lot of them didn't like it because he was doing something. They were all personality jobs. They'd all be doing, you know, but he he could he could get people excited with just music, you know, bringing another, you know, that the joy of bringing another track in and and lifting that crowd, you know, with, with what they're hearing coming in. Um, and if people can't do that, then you're a threat. If you're a threat. To, to that DJ, you know, that's that's how I saw it anyway. I could be wrong. So, no, no, of course. So the guys that were actually in Blackpool in, in that area doing the, the, at the at the Wigan Casino we're talking about, mm. that would be, they would just be playing record, talking, playing another record, correct? Yeah. Froggy comes in with this new stuff called Changes. Yeah. I don't know. I can't comment on uh, Wigan and up north. I mean, I'm, unfortunately... I was never a, never a northern DJ. I mean, I, I'm, I mean, I'm talking about the soul scene down south, which was a, a different. It wasn't as intense as the um, the northern soul scene. It was it was a scene, but it was a different scene, a different tempo, and a different a different style. You know, um, so I can't actually comment on what they were doing up north. You know, and I, I, you know, I know one of my biggest friends is, is Yogi, who's a northern DJ, and uh, he's he's a DJ that come to DJ my birthday. You know that. You know when you're listening to someone and you just sit back and you think, really? He played for an hour and I just wanted it to be two hours. It was just, please don't let it stop. because And, and you know, I had a room full of my family and everything for my 70th birthday. And there was no one come over and said, oh, this is a bit random. You know, it was all just... It just, it was the, it was the best gig. It's been a long time since I've been out somewhere and thought, yeah, that's, it. you know, enjoyed that much, you know, it was, uh, it was a, it was a grand day out. <laughs> yeah, Yogi's a very, Yogi Horton's a very good day. Yeah, yeah, very good, very good. Very it was, good. Keely and I went up to his MFS, I'm going up there again in a couple of weeks, we went up there, she wanted to go to Edinburgh, she'd never been to Edinburgh, it's very topical at the moment, but a couple of years ago, and um, we went to MFSB, well, I've just never, I just haven't danced in the club, I, my, my knees were shot for, for weeks off, I haven't danced that much, I was there at the end of the night still dancing, and I was like, what's going on, I'm going to pay for this in the morning, but it was just really good, and you've got a room full of people that just, because I said, yeah, you want me to play, you, think, you can play whatever you want, as long as it's good, There's, it doesn't have to, be. do you know the, how nice to go in a, a club where you could play disco, you could play funk, you could play, you could play techno, as long as it was certain, the crowd love it, you know, as long as you don't, you know, abuse them, you know, and, and it, was, it was. Please search for part two of this podcast on the platform you're watching or listening to. And please do not forget to follow us.